People have been fighting the Jordan Cove LNG project for over 15 years now, which is really incredible because every year that we're fighting it is a year that it is failing. People want real solutions that benefit them at home. And that means stopping new fossil fuel projects like the Jordan Cove LNG project. And that's why we can have these hearings that thousands of people show up to in communities that are much smaller than anywhere else in the state. And that's why we have done so well pressuring the state of Oregon um, to finally actually start denying permits for Jordan Cove LNG. That was Allie Rosenbluth. Allie is the campaign's director for Rogue Climate, a grassroots organization fighting for climate justice and clean energy in southern Oregon, where it was started. It draws its name from the region's Rogue Valley. I spoke to Ali about Rogue Climate's campaign against a massive fossil fuel project, the construction of the Jordan Cove Liquefied Natural Gas Export Terminal. The proposal comes from Pembina, a Canadian corporation. Ali explains the sheer scale and impact of this project. So um, the Jordan Cove LNG project um, comprises of, of three major parts. There's a compression station that would compress the gas, the fracked gas, through a proposed 230-mile gas pipeline to a proposed LNG export terminal where they would cool the gas to negative 260 degrees to liquefy it and put it on tankers to ship it overseas to markets in Asia. Just the energy that it would take at the export terminal to cool the gas, just the climate pollution from that would become the largest source of climate pollution in the state of Oregon. So just the energy at the terminal. But if we look at the full project from the fracking that would happen in the U.S. and Canadian Rocky Mountains to the like regasification and the eventual burning of this gas in markets in Asia, this project would be over 15 times the amount of climate pollution that the Boardman coal plant, which is the last remaining coal plant in Oregon, and that coal plant is actually being uh, phased out. And so the Jordan Cove LNG export project would be a huge step backwards for uh, Oregon's commitment to take action on climate. Oregon in 2016 passed a new act committing the state to 50% renewable energy by 2040. The Jordan Cove project proposal contradicts the aspiration of these commitments. And for it to be constructed, it would impact environments across four southern Oregonian counties. Climate shares on its website that over 160,000 people's drinking water is threatened by this pipeline. The project would run through tribal lands, it would take private property through eminent domain, increase the potential of wildfires, and require a 1,300-acre clear-cut through Oregon's public forests through the South Cascades and a lot of really beautiful old growth forests and over hundreds and hundreds of waterways. There's a great public cost to this natural gas project, while none of this gas is intended to even be sold domestically. Like Ali was saying, all of it is intended to be sold in East Asia. It's a fight against public cost and the private benefit. And like you heard at the start, this project has unified a lot of Oregonians, has unified a lot of people in Oregon, Attached to this project is a promise of bringing jobs to southern Oregon. Ali has seen the doubt grow over who this project actually benefits. Here's that part of our conversation. Even people who are very focused on good jobs, you know, and they would kind of go for that industry talking point, they're 
skeptical that the industry even will be able to follow up on that because they haven't followed up on it before. And that's what's expected for this project too, right? Is that there really aren't pipelines of this size that are in Oregon. So the mm -hmm. experts to build these sorts of projects are not going to be for people who live in the communities. Um, these, these jobs are for people who've done this before. Rural Oregon has a long history of the timber industry and mills closing and that reliance on the extractive economy is something that is definitely still here and you know people are looking for what's the next thing that's gonna you know re revitalize this this community and bring jobs to our community and I think for the most part people see that the Jordan Cove LNG project isn't that and that we have incredible natural resources and that we can create jobs in sustainable timber and in renewable energy and that we can create those jobs while also not sacrificing the things that make our community so special. It also sounds like it, the project exposes most of the talking points that the gas industry wants us to believe about fracked gas. So they're saying it's cleaner, right? They're saying it's modern. They're saying it's local American energy. I think because this project has been going on for so long and Southern Oregonians are so stuck on protecting their homes, that messaging really isn't working here. The company was spending um, $10 million a month on marketing and other projects to help sway our communities last year. And they sent out these postcards that said, this is what a pipeline looks like. And it would be just like this beautiful picture of a river in Southern Oregon with someone fishing with their dog. And... Those mobilized so many people to oppose this project. It was actually really, really incredible. We had people showing up to our office with those postcards and saying like, what is this? Like, <laughs> like how can I get involved? Like, sign me up. I think one thing that has really been important for this campaign too is that it's being run by people who live in the communities right here in Southern Oregon. And even though there's a really incredible group of allies in Portland and Eugene, they're listening to us and they're waiting for our lead. They understand that there are differences that are going to come up between the people who they're working with in Southern Oregon. And that's really important in this time. You know, in Oregon right now, the Senate Republicans have walked out of the legislature because they don't want to vote on a cap and trade deal. And people have a myriad of opinions about that. Right. And the narrative that the media is pushing is that rural Oregon doesn't want to see climate action, which I know from my lived experience here organizing that that just is not true. People want real solutions that benefit them at home. And that means stopping new fossil fuel projects like the Jordan Cove LNG project. And that's why we can have these hearings that thousands of people show up to in communities that are much smaller than anywhere else in the state. And that's why we have done so well pressuring the state of Oregon um, to finally actually start denying permits for Jordan Cove LNG. So there are a number of key permits which the Jordan Cove LNG plant needs from the state of Oregon if it were to be built. Rogue Climate and Alley's work has resulted in delaying these permits, Jordan Cove LNG feeling pressured to withdraw them out of fear of getting denied, like with their permit to build across state lands, and also their work can be connected with the outright denial of permits to Jordan Cove LNG. The state of Oregon denied their um, coastal zone permit for Jordan Cove LNG, citing that the project would be too harmful to coastal communities, the climate, and that the project like still failed to meet uh, other state permits. As we started to wrap up our conversation, Ellie shared that the key to these victories 
has been in the relationship and coalition building at Rogue Climate. I think the thing that's been like the most exciting to see is how this campaign has brought together people from all political backgrounds together, right? We have conservative landowners who are ranchers working with tribal members, working with youth climate activists, um, working with firefighters, working with commercial fishermen. There are so many reasons why people in Southern Oregon are standing up against the Jordan Cove LNG project, that it's really created a beautiful community of people who are building relationships with each other, which is so important in this day and age, especially um, in rural communities where things can feel so divided. Actually, when we're looking around at a hearing room and we see all of these different people, we actually can start having those conversations about what we do have in common. And I think that's like a really really important thing to be focusing on these days. Mm -hmm. What have you learned about talking to the media and messaging in this work? I mean, when you are sort of the media, oftentimes like will try to put something into a box that makes sense to them. Yeah. Well, what have you learned about the stories that you're experiencing are being represented? So I first of all think that it's like really critical to be uplifting the voices of the people who are impacted by this project. So making sure that the media is talking to the folks who would live with the impacts of Jordan Cove LNG. So whether that's impacted tribal members, impacted landowners, youth, commercial fishermen, it's really important to be uplifting those voices because it's a lot harder for the media to spin their stories and their personal experiences. I also think that we have to do our best to communicate common ground um, when we're talking with the media. So talking about the issues that bring our communities together, like the commercial fishing industry, private property rights, climate action in regards to the impacts that we're seeing right here at home. And I also really think it's important to show that organizing works, right? So to constantly be going back to, you know, 3,000 people showed up to these hearings and that's why this company has withdrawn their application for their removal fill permit, which they can't build this project without because really what we we have is people power and we need to build this movement to be able to not just stop Jordan Cove LNG but to make sure that a project like this can't come back to this community and to help communities that are similar figure out how to do the same there. I think it's really about knowing people and like having real genuine relationships with them and to have conversations that are hard and being able to know that you might land on different decisions, different opinions, but that we have to stand together to stop this project. Like we are up against the fossil fuel corporations of that are have so much power in this country and in the world. And so as an organizer on the Jordan Cove project, you know, it's a 230 mile pipeline. So throughout each month, I'm in four different counties. I'm driving hundreds and hundreds of miles so that I can have those like face-to-face personal time with people and, you know, hear what they're doing and figure out how I can support that work and figure out how they can plug into what's happening in the regional coalitions and connect them to the resources that they need to be really successful. So it is a lot of time and a lot of work to be able to do that across this whole region, but it's so vital. And I can't imagine our coalition being as successful without the relationships that we've prioritized.
Thank you so much, Ali Rosenbluth, for sharing your time and the story of your work. Since recording this interview, the Jordan Cove LNG Export Terminal has received approval from FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. It approved the export terminal and pipeline despite having rejected it in the past. Jordan Cove has the ability to develop its pipeline and seize private property to do so. This power for eminent domain is given for the sake of a project's quote-unquote greater public interest. Landowners are appealing this decision in a court case that will be heard in 2021. This is Halt the Harm podcast. My name is Ryan Clover, and to find out more about how you can get involved in the Leader Network, visit halttheharm.net.